0: This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Dr. Matthew Sakonikis talks about the true nature of the Church in Holy Communion. One body. One body. Do Catholics really believe they are eating the body and blood of Jesus? Isn't that cannibalism? Well, let's find out. Dr. Sakanikis is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Cody Marinser.
1: We let us welcome Dr. Matthew Sakanikis. Are you there, sir?
2: I am. Good morning. Nice to be with you.
1: Good morning. So, Dr. Matthew, uh, my name is Cody Marinser. Um, uh, I haven't previously met you, so this is going to be new for our um, uh, listening audience. It'll be new for me, but um, as I understand um, by your bio here, um, I think we're going to have a really amazing talk. So, um, for everybody listening... We have Dr. Matthew Sakanikis, uh, and he is a professor of theology at Christendom College, Front Royal, Virginia. Uh, his doctorate is from the Pontifical University of the Lateran S- John Paul II Institute for Marriage and the Family in Rome. He has taught for Benedictine College, St. Meinrad Seminary, Permanent di- Diaconate Program, and it, it, am I correct in that you're still doing that um, at this time? I
2: I, I am. I uh You know, I uh, will be heading out to Nashville, Tennessee, April and May. I have to teach Old Testament out that way, and and I I love getting out there to Tennessee. So so definitely still with them. That is
1: awesome. I I get to teach Old Testament, um, and so I I know um, how difficult it can be, but I imagine I could learn a lot from you. So continuing just a little bit, you, uh, you also teach, as you said, uh, at St. Paul Seminary School Divinity. You can find articles about Dr. Matthew at uh, Communio, is that correct?
2: Yeah, so uh, places I've written for Communio uh, would be one of them, International Catholic Review.
1: Okay. And then also uh, Logos, uh, a journal of Catholic faith and culture, Catholic World Report, homiletic and pastoral review. Um, And let me see if I get this right. Is your website catholic460.com?
2: That's right. So catholic460.com, and that, of course, comes from paragraph 460 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Oh,
1: fantastic, and I imagine we might get into a little bit of that here um, in just a few minutes. Um, So as we get rolling here, you know, um, kind of enough from me, Uh, Dr. Sakinesis, uh, you're on this morning talking about the true nature of the Church in Holy Communion. So maybe we ought to start out with, um, can you tell us uh, what uh, Pope Benedict XVI said about the true nature of the Church?
2: Absolutely. I I figured the best way to start a conversation and to to get into this um, is really to start with one of the greatest theologians of our our 20th and into the 21st century um, when it comes to understanding the Church, who who was involved even at the Second Vatican Council when uh, they put together the dogmatic constitution on the Church, Lumen Gentium. And so, I, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to recommend a book to all of your listeners. So uh, I, I was so excited when when uh, Deacon Mark Roberti said, "Hey, they could they could use a little bit of help here at Divine Mercy Radio. Why don't you help out? Get off your butt. You've been uh, on sabbatical long enough." And um, and I thought, okay, well, this is great. I love sharing Ratzinger's work. And so this is some this is a book I wanted to recommend, and uh, it's called God and the World. And uh, the subtitle is A Conversation with Peter Seewald. But as you might have guessed, the author, because the interview is an interview with Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger decades ago. And again, the book is called God in the World. And so I wanted to read, and I think it's going to get your listeners really excited. I just want to read three paragraphs, and it's from page 343. And so he's, he's, trying to make, he's trying to shake people out of, in these three paragraphs, he wants to shake them out of thinking of the Church only in terms of its structures of power and authority, which, which certainly are an aspect of the Church, which is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic but the apostolicity is not the only mark, and that's what he wants to get across in these three paragraphs. So people start thinking more fully on the mystery, the sacrament of the Church, because we translate the mysterion from the Greek into the sacramentum of the Latin. And so this really comes across in three paragraphs. So is it okay if I go ahead and just start reading those? As we get back
1: into this, um, it sounds like maybe you are headed towards, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here or not, but what I'm picking up from you already is um, we can't just leave everything to the priests. Is is that maybe somewhere? You know, the priest, the pope, the episcopate, um, it, it's not all on them to evangelize the world. Is that correct?
2: That's right, that's right. So it's certainly up that's some of where I'm going to go, okay. and it's about the holiness, the call to holiness. But I'm really going to this. This is a question that I usually do with when I teach. Uh, we, we do six semesters here at Christendom College. Every student has to do six semesters of theology as part of their liberal arts education. So philosophy and theology both have six semesters, um, in addition to the, the other very, very integral parts of the liberal arts, from history and English and political science and uh, the sciences themselves, but in the very first semester, I, I asked them this question, because I used this book when, when teaching freshmen here at Christendom College. I used Ratzinger's God in the World interview, and, uh, and I say to them, I say, what do you think most of the, most people who are not Catholics think when you say the word church? And, you know, usually that we come around to it, but, but ultimately it's authority. And I said, I really want to change your mind that whenever you hear the word church, that you and you learn to teach other people that the first word that should pop into their mind is liturgy. Liturgy. Because Christ said, I came so that people will worship God, not on this mountain or that mountain, but in spirit and in truth. So Christ came to make us true worshipers because it's in worship, true authentic worship where we're transformed in Christ that true worship brings about likeness to God because God is the very mystery of giving yourself totally to God. And that sounds a little bit awkward at first, and it takes a lot of explanation, so we got an hour, we'll see how far we get in all of this. But the point is, in the mystery of the Trinity, God the Father from all eternity, in generating the Logos, in generating His Son, beholds the infinite God. And He gives Himself totally to his son he surrenders himself he adores and gives himself totally to the son and the son likewise only does as he sees the father doing and the son from all eternity gives himself to the infinite good which is god the father and so what is the mystery of god but an exchange of love exalting god and what is it we do in worship we do what god does we exalt God by putting Him first in our lives and adoring Him above all other things and recognizing Him as our infinite good. So in other words, we're being invited in the very mystery of the Trinity to receive the infinite goodness of God Himself. And this is what worship brings us into.
1: So very, very amazing points that you have made. Uh, it, it's so important for us, I think, to remember that uh, we, as you said, we we often – th- you know, I think take this negative look at the church uh, because of the misunderstanding of what that means. And then when, yeah, when we understand that uh, we're talking about relationship, Maybe that ought to make us look differently. You know, uh, one of the things that, as you said, you teach Old Testament, uh, I get to teach Old Testament, looking at the Ten Commandments, I just asked some students yesterday, uh, do you see them as uh, barbed wire around a prison yard that just keeps you in this cell that you cannot leave? Or do you actually see them as a fence around the playground because God um, wants you to be happy and joyful in this life too? Um, and so uh, as you're speaking there, you know, I, I hear a lot of that coming through um, as to we need to have the proper understanding otherwise we'll have this jaded view of the understanding
2: of the church that's right and so in galatians 5 1 st paul tells us for freedom christ has set us free which means christianity is the ultimate and truest religion for freedom we're not about rules and laws to keep you down as popularly presented by people who when they hear the word church they think authority and yes, the church has authority, but authority exists to assist us in abiding in freedom because, in uh, the truth, because it's the truth that makes us free. And so it's about introducing us into true freedom. So here's a real question for people to think about, right? So ask people and say, who do you think is more free, you or God? And most people will, if they don't overthink the question, they'll say, well, of course God's more free. And I'll say, great. What if you could become more like God? Would you become more free or less free? Okay, so if God is the most free, and I become more like Him, then I should have more freedom. Yes, that's the point. You become like what you worship. And so, in worshiping God is where God makes you more like himself. And so it's through worship that you are set free. It's not, it's not something keeping you down. It's something elevating you to recognize who you truly are and take possession of something way higher than yourself. The ultimate truth and the ultimate good and the ultimate beauty. And this is why when I say the word church, with Ratzinger, I want people to start thinking liturgy. And worship the worship that makes you free
1: those are wonderful points that you are making when, when you say the liturgy when you say the worship uh, you know uh, going back to the rules and regulations do do we really understand that we have a good father in heaven that um, is trying to keep us from running out into the road and getting run over um, or do we see it uh, as we were talking as oh well those are just rules because you don't want me to be happy.
2: Yeah, well, this is actually why I called the website. It's about this point you're making. The website that, um, you know, when Deacon Mark Roberti said, Hey, Matt, why don't you help out? I had just written this primer on the church, which is it's posted at my website, Catholic460. Um, and so, Catholic460.com. And so I posted it um, on the Breathe of Both Lungs page. And so it's in there that, again, the title is Catholic 460 because I'm trying to get through people's minds. Not only is it rules that keep us safe, but rules that help us worship so we can become more like God to actually participate in the divine nature. So in other words, that the Catholic 460 chose the paragraph from the, Catholic, uh, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 460. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what that paragraph says. and I'm doing my best for my head. It begins with St. Peter, and it says that through these very, very promises, so 2 Peter 1.4, you may become partakers in the divine nature. And that's the very first sentence of paragraph 460. In other words, it's about the deification that God... Is going to make humans sharers in God's own life and power and divinity. Sharers. Not parallel to Him, but participants. That, and that word participant really comes from communio, which is where Ratzinger wants to take us about understanding the mystery of the church as a communio, coming from the Greek word koinonia. We translate into communio. So, that, so the very second sentence of paragraph 460 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church comes from St. Irenaeus, where he talks about the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that sons of men having communion with the Son of God can become partakers in God. (laughs) Now the third one, now here's the killer point, right, this is why I bring people to Catholic 460, and there's a big button there, it's just one page, and all this says is click this button. Uh, it says, Doctor of the Church, St. Athanasius, because the third sentence of paragraph 460 is this. This is St. Athanasius, the doctor of the Church who saved us from Arianism. A lot of people hear St. Athanasius, they're like, oh, that name sounds familiar, You're not sure where to place him. He is the, the doctor of the Church and the, and the defender of the divinity of Christ, the full divinity of the Logos. And this is what he said. So remember, I moved from St. Peter to St. Irenaeus in about 170 A.D. or so. And now I'm at about 320 A.D. And the third sentence of paragraph 460 says this. The Son of God became man so that man might become God. Now that sounds crazy to people. They're like, oh my gosh, that sounds Mormon. No, 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 no. He means... The Son of God became man so that man might become God by grace, by participation. Once again, we're talking communio, koinonia.
1: You know, as you say that, that... That is just, there I, there's so much there that we could unpack um, yeah. you know I hate that we, I hate that we only have this uh, limited amount of time uh, but uh and i, I also hope that i 'm um, not getting too far ahead here, but uh, uh when you talk about uh, communio you know obviously a lot of people probably are hearing uh communion in their mind, and that also draws to me you know the the absolute misunderstanding that maybe uh, sometimes we have about the Eucharist—you uh, know—that um, if we're if we're marching up like cattle, um, you know, just um, waiting for our snack. You know, like, well, everybody else is doing it. Why don't I just do it? You know, um, or also the the, the the question. You know, sometimes people are like, um, why can't I receive communion at my church, um, but I can't at your church? So, just very quick background because I want to get back to you. Um, you know, I wasn't born and raised Catholic, um, and so coming into the church, you know, this is one of the questions that I had um, is uh, why can't why not, why why could you come to my church and I could have communion, but I can't go to yours and receive communion. Well, it it comes to that understanding then of what the Eucharist really is. It's not yeah. about wanting to shun people, you know, make people feel bad or whatever people may think, but it's about the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate relationship. Um, and especially, many Catholics I um, may not know this, but for us as Catholics, we should not present ourselves for the. Uh, ultimate gift of Christ our Lord, if we're not worthy to receive um, at that moment also. And and so, um, any thoughts or anything that uh, you wanted to further on that?
2: Well, I think you're right. The reason I'm using Communio, and and my whole emphasis, I've been building up longer than I thought it would, even to these three paragraphs of Ratzinger I was about to read. But I said, you know, when you hear the word Church, don't first think authority. Yes, it has authority, and it's important that it has authority, but think liturgy. And when you think liturgy, think Holy Communion. And that is why the Church really wants us to understand Communio as the correct concept. And, and we'll come to this more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get into exactly uh, what I say there and, 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 and imitating Ratzinger as I go imitating the theology that he's given us, which is the theology of the Church Fathers. But, but you are correct. You, you can't just go unprepared as as first corinthians chapter 11 says you just can't go unprepared unrepentant from sin and what's happening in holy communion is that the baptized you have to be baptized number one yeah you you have to uh, have repented of sin and want to give up and be committed to giving up sin to approach because in holy communion your participation is entrance into Jesus Christ, the Holy of Holies. In other words, the Holy of Holies in the temple of the Old Testament is only a prefigurement of how holy it is what you're entering when you receive Holy Communion. You are actually standing in the true Holy of Holies where Jesus is seated on the throne of His Father, one in being with the Father what
1: you said, uh, Dr. Sakonis, about uh, Holy Communion, about uh, being properly prepared. And then if this really is the culmination of a relationship uh, in in the Holy Eucharist, and we need to properly be prepared, um, I hope that maybe I'm not getting too far ahead and feel free to back up. But what does that then say for scandal— if if uh, we are people who are not properly prepared and maybe somebody knows about that um what's the danger in that
2: well certainly it makes it look like our teaching is false about what we claim i mean it makes it look like uh, you teach that you're entering the holy of holies, but clearly you don't believe that. By the very fact that you're you're promoting, you know, a person, you know, this is not a condemnation. As though I know his his soul and I have the right to judge him. But externally, his actions, you see, somebody who is promoting the murder of the innocent, which is abortion. He's making it more accessible. He wants taxpayer dollars to be used to su- to support it. Um, he's certainly truly cooperating in abortion, even if he's not physically performing it himself. He is formally, his will is united with that it's it's good for people to do this because his personal signature is on those executive orders. And so here we have someone blatantly violating the the law against murder and he's receiving Holy Communion as as though it's just a snack. As though it has no true meaning and as though it's not objectively truly a mystery of where heaven and earth are joined through the risen, glorified body of Jesus Christ, now using material to extend his glorified body so we can participate in the Holy Spirit, all of that is lost when that person says, oh, well, the way I'm living and what I'm promoting has nothing to do with my actions in this visible community of the Church. And so it destroys faith. Injures faith, and it encourages us, the people, to be like, oh well, then I, I can promote abortion and do these things too, and even even actually uh, help fund it, just like Biden wants taxpayer funds to fund it, and so it makes an absolute mockery of Jesus' death that he he gave for us in order that we could have holy communion, and it, it's 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 beyond scandalous. Scandal now begins to pair uh, pale in comparison. Let me back up just a little bit, though. I want to take up that offer to back up just a little. I want to read this, this page 343, really emphasizing to people that when they think of the church, think of the word liturgy or holy communion and, instead of first thinking authority. And so these are the three paragraphs. Again, this is page 343 from Ratzinger's book, God in the World, subtitled A Conversation with Peter Seewald. So this is Ratzinger himself speaking. It seems to me a particular temptation for our very active and rational society to try to make the church accessible by means of commissions and boards and consultations. People would like to make her handier and more practical to some extent, make her a human construction, in which in the end some majority or other will decide what we should actually believe or what we cannot believe and so forth. But we would only distort her by doing this, Moving her ever farther away from her true self, she would no longer be a living thing and certainly not something divine. If we want to understand, now this is the second paragraph on the page, if we want to understand the church properly, then we must look at her, I think, above all from the standpoint of her liturgy that is where she is most often herself that is where she is ever and ever again touched and renewed by the lord for in her in the liturgy we must in fact live the church by starting from holy scripture from the sacraments from the great prayers of christendom and this is the way that as leo the great says we can gradually clear away the haze that makes the air so thick and the grains of sand that have gotten in our eyes and begin now in seeing this way to see the church better i'll, I'll end up that I don't, I don't want to read too much at once that's right this is why this is why it was important i liked your question on scandal and so this is why when i wrote this primer on the church i recognized i need to teach people that the church is truly herself here with rat Singer, the church is most truly herself in the liturgy where we, we read we, we draw from scripture, the teaching of the apostles, we draw from tradition, we draw from the very worship Christ gave his church in holy communion. We enter this is where the church is most fully herself, and this is where the scandal of Biden receiving communion does so much injury to the Catholic faith and to the faithful. And and presents to us, in a sense, a false church. So how can I have integrity? So I I wanted to, I I mentioned this briefly, not because I like harping on Biden, because I need to acknowledge an elephant on the sofa, because if anyone's going to take me seriously, if I'm going to reach to Christians who are not Catholics, who do not have the worshiping in spirit and truth that Jesus established, in which we're doing what Jesus gave us, not our way of what we think we should worship or how we think we should worship, but Jesus' way of worshiping for us, how can I convince them that what I'm saying is true if I don't acknowledge the truth? That this is an absolute scandal with Biden. So I want to acknowledge that and get it out of the way so we can then move into really discussing this true nature of the church as, as koinonia, as, as fellowship through participation in relationship with the apostles who give us relationship with Jesus. And so this is where the article also moves a bit into ecumenism. And in some of the points I'd sent on over, this is where I'm kind of moving in through number four of some of the points I'd made. Um, I just want to get that out there to, to, to move to to move to, uh, this, this great discussion we're having and just uh, just let you know some of where my thoughts are moving. I think that that leads us to really the heart of the article that, that I'd written on this primer of the church. Um, and, and certainly I want to encourage everybody how wonderful it is to be available on on this radio and be able to share this with you. I really hope people are supportive here of, of Divine Mercy Radio, of the efforts being made, uh, and doing what they can to support this so we can get the word out to reach people who are driving, to reach people in their offices to, to share this good news and, and uh, continue this educational effort of the new evangelization. So um, I want to let them know you and know, make makes available to share where they can find written resources at the same time. And so what I'm saying is, is, is that Catholic 460, so I'm going to move through explaining this article that's in section 4. It's under where I have a, a new project that's also listed there, um, which is uh, comes from another project of Ratzinger. But if they scroll down to the very bottom of that page, it, where it'll say primer on the church, its main central focus is to explain to people, if we're going to understand this biblically, John's first letter, his first letter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it makes very clear, particularly in verse 3 he says after talking about jesus as as god who's manifest the eternal life who's manifested himself he says john says in his first letter not the gospel first letter that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and the word there is koinonia that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have koinonia with us and the church really translates today into latin not not necessarily in a Latin edition of the scripture, but in its understanding of how to translate Latin, it would say communio is the right word to use here. So that we may have, in other words, in Latin you would say, in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, so that you may have communio with us. And so, uh, and and our communio, our fellowship, is with the Father and with His son Jesus Christ. So, what's he saying in First Letter John, chapter 1, verse 3? He's saying, Through communion with us, the apostles, we're going to bring you into communion with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? He's saying, To the apostles, We're going to bring you into Holy Communion, the worship Jesus established, so you can enter into the Holy of Holies. That's what he's saying. And so in in the book of Revelation, you can see that symbolically being presented in Revelation chapter 21. That's what I really wanted to help people see and and to appreciate in Scripture and enjoy in Scripture, that this very communion that's being talked about, that it's through the Apostles, you have access to receiving Jesus in Holy Communion. And, and what do we call Jesus in Holy Communion? The priest elevates what was once bread and is now his body. And he elevates it before we receive him. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Happier are those who are called to this feast. And what he's saying is, Happier are those who are called to the wedding feast of the Lamb. In other words, he's saying the moment of revelation. Chapter 21 of the book of Revelation is now taking place in front of you, the baptized, and is taking place to the foundation of the apostles. Let me read real quickly Revelation chapter 21. I've got, a, I've got a new Bible in front of me here that I had to pull off my shelf because my other one's falling apart, so I'm flipping through as quickly as I can. And so I'm in Revelation chapter 21, and I want to point out to you, says... In Revelation 21, starting about verse 9, the the angel says, uh, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife, of the lamb. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So, so he's taken up a great high mountain and showing where the city comes down and joins this high mountain. This is a, an image of God coming down on Mount Sinai, making available his true presence to all of Israel. He's using this imagery. And then he goes through explaining what this city coming down out of heaven looks like, and he ends by saying, in verse 14, "...the wall of the city had twelve foundations." and on them the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb so so on what does the city rest the city when it comes down of, out of heaven it rests upon the foundation of the twelve apostles well why does that matter well because in the very center of the city it says in verse 22 of chapter 21 it says I saw no temple in the city For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. In other words, at the very center of the city, instead of there being a building now, like the building that was in Jerusalem, there's a Lamb. So how is it the Lamb's in the center of the city? Well, the Lamb cannot be in the center of the city unless he's standing on the foundation of what? The Twelve Apostles. In other words, the Apostolic Ministry the bishops and the priests. And certainly the diaconate is a part of holy orders. But we're talking here that through the apostolic succession, through the power to bind and loose that Jesus gave his church, when he said, do this in memory of me, and commanded the apostles to do this worship, we are seeing in Revelation chapter 21, the lamb standing on the foundation of the apostles is what happens at every parish church that gathers for the liturgy. There revelation 21 is taking place. And we're being given access to eternal life, to receiving into our body and soul God. Why do we want to eat what what we say in John chapter 6 is the body and blood of Jesus? Well, it's because Jesus is God. And in eating this this resurrected body and blood under the appearance of bread and wine, we are eating, which means we are participating in God, and therefore, we have, through the fellowship with John and the Apostles, per his first letter, we now have fellowship, or communio, with the Father and the Son. So that's the heart of Part one of the primer that I wrote uh, on the primer of the church.
0: We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Matthew Sakonikis on the true nature of the church in Holy Communion. We're back on One Body Stewarding God's Creation. The true nature of the church in Holy Communion. One body,
2: stood in God's creation.
0: With Dr. Matthew Sakonikas, Cody Marincer conducts the interview. One body, stood in God's you are listening to
1: a wonderful uh, man here, Dr. Matthew. Sakanikus, and uh, he is uh, teaching us so much about re-understanding what it means to to say church, what it means to say liturgy, what it means to say worship, and why it is so important for us to be um, in communion with our Lord. So, Dr. Saconikus, uh let's get back to you um, and uh, let you continue on uh, about this thought of uh, revelation, communio, um, and then uh, the Mass as liturgy.
2: Well, I want to pick up. You said something very beautiful in this. Um, I think you took a very Augustinian approach in, in describing Holy Communion here as ordinarily, when we eat food, we metabolize it. But in eating Christ's body and blood, which is, his glory, which is his risen body and blood that's in heaven, now given to us uh, in reality under the appearance of bread and wine so that he can share his divinity with us, and so this is funny because I wanted to bring up this principle again of, of how important worship is not just in making us like God but even teaching us. And so I wanted to bring up this principle and and the principle is in Latin it's lex orandi lex credendi. And so lex would mean law. So lex orandi means the law of praying is lex credendi, the law of believing. In other words, if we're worshiping a certain way and saying certain things in prayers, then that's actually the very doctrines we believe in. That that doctrines themselves flow from the worship that Jesus instituted. So why does this matter? Well, you get funny people like, like Dan Brown wrote his Da Vinci Code, and he said, you know, the church didn't really believe in, in Jesus was God until the 4th century. And it's such an horrific misrepresentation of Christianity, because obviously already uh, Jesus is very clear in in John's Gospel and the like, that before Abraham was, I am, and they picked up rocks to stone him, it's very clear, in John chapter 5, and in John chapter 10, they say, we don't stone you simply because of your good works, we stone you because you, a man, are making yourself God. So from the very beginning we believed in God, but but our way we worship proves that from thirty three AD when we started celebrating the liturgy that Jesus established, we received why would anyone eat body and blood Meaning, we know it is sacramental. Meaning, in other words, it has the accidents of bread, it has the accidents of wine. In no way is it cannibalism, because we're not actually destroying the body and blood of Jesus at at all. He is actually taking us into himself, like you said. But the whole point is, it is because they believed he is the one who gives us eternal life, that we receive his body and blood. But this was St. Athanasius' very point. Jesus cannot give you eternal life unless he is the eternal life. Usually when we eat food, we consume the food but in the mystery of eating the eucharist it's christ who is consuming us he's consuming us in his divinity as it says in second corinthians chapter 5 that we may be swallowed up by life in other words jesus is the eternal life and i was pointing out the lexorandi lex credendi here and and lexorandi means law of praying and lex credendi means law of believing. And so what I was trying to say was, this law of praying is our law of believing. In other words, our worship proves, contrary to people like Dan Brown and his Da Vinci Code, and people who say, oh, the, the Church didn't even uh, promote the belief in the full divinity of Jesus until the 4th century. Um, or didn't even believe in his divinity until the 4th century. And it's such a lie. It's worse than fake news. It's just lying. We have in John's Gospel how clearly that when Jesus made statements like, the Father's at work until now and I'm at work, the people picked up stones and went to stone them. And it says, quote, we're going to stone you. And they say this again in, in chapter 10 of John's Gospel, when he said the Father and I are one, They said, we're going to stone you, not for any of your works, but because you, a man, make yourself God. And so it's very clear from the very beginning of the church, not just from what the scriptures have, or not just what what the councils had to clarify, it's actually through our worship. The church was being faithful to its worship when it was having to fight with people like Arius, In the Arian heresy, denying the full divinity of Jesus, look at our worship in Holy Communion. Why would people want to receive the body and blood of Jesus? And the answer is because they believe and know He is God. In other words, you're eating God. Through eating the body and blood of Jesus, you are eating God. And it is God sharing His life with you. That's why St. Athanasius said... God became man so that man might become God by grace. That's in paragraph 460 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And so now everything we've been saying about Communio makes more sense when I read to you verses 1 and 2 of John's first letter. In his first letter, verse 1, he says, "...that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we saw it. See how excited he is. What's he talking about? Why is he so excited about the life, the word of life? What's he trying to say to us? He says, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Well, there's only one eternal life. God. His nature is eternity. That's eternal life. And so Jesus became human so that eternal life itself would be available to us by having communio with him, by having a participation in him and so in consuming him he is sharing who he is the eternal life he is sharing god he is god in other words lexarandi lex carendi lex credendi the law of praying receiving the eucharist is the law of believing we receive the eucharist because it's god giving us eternal life and that is why jesus said in john chapter six He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, and I give him eternal life. And that brings us right back to where we started. Verse 3 of John's first letter. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship, communio, with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, And with his son. And our communio is with the father and with his son. In other words, through the apostles, we give you communio with the lamb. And that is exactly what Revelation 21 is trying to tell us. There's no temple at the center of the city because heaven itself is participation in God's own nature. Something that begins through baptism and is built into you through Holy Communion where he clothes you in his own life, swallowing you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Swallowing you. I think it's verse 5. Swallowing you in divinity. Swallowing you in life so that you may be filled and grow into Christ. And therefore become more fully members of his mystical body, the Church,
1: That is absolutely wonderful. Dr. Sakonikis, as you talk, uh, you know, I had a little bit of a chuckle because, as as I said, I'm a convert, um, and John chapter 6 was huge to my conversion, Um, and you quoted some of it. um, And in there, uh, you know, Christ also says, uh, Truly I tell you, if you do not uh, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you do not have life within you. And, and so as a married man, uh, yourself and myself, I think this becomes a whole lot more clear when we're talking about relationship, that uh, we, we can't just walk into uh, a relationship and say, well, give me the fullness of it. That's demanding. That's not oh, Wow. You this know, is a great
2: point you're making.
1: We, we, we can't have—I I once heard this from somebody, once again, way smarter than me, but they're so right. There's no greater communion between two persons than a worthy soul receiving the Eucharist, not even that of the communion of a husband and
2: wife. <laughs> wow, so beautiful. Really, really, thank you so much. That really assists uh, drawing out. Uh, this is why it's so much better. Theology should always be done in fellowship, because <laughs> none so of correct. us none of us can really present at all. And how important it is to do theology with others. So uh, that's uh, that's a beautiful point. I, I, I really think that really drives home everything what you just said. I wanted to point out to people in the Book of Revelation, it talks about this heavenly city coming down from heaven and on the foundation of the Apostles, and a lot of times people see this as the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It's a foretaste of heaven when, when all things are consummated. So the liturgy is the foretaste of this. And so you notice you go into a liturgy and you, you, you worship at the very climax where heaven and earth are joined in Holy Communion, but notice the very ending of the liturgy. You know, it says that you're dismissed, and at the dismissal it is, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Well, it doesn't mean you're being kicked out of church. You're not kicked out of the mystical body. You've just, through Holy Communion, been made more a member of the mystical body. So actually, while standing on earth, you're still a citizen inside the heavenly city. You're just not in the holy of holies right now but Jesus still abides in you and you in him and that means actually you see people are going in and out of the city it makes very clear in 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 Revelation chapter 21 that people are going in and out of the city which is once again showing, uh, and you'll see this in, in, in Revelation chapter 22 as well, people are going, just like Adam and Eve could go in and out of the Garden of Eden, they were only stuck only in the Garden of Eden. They were supposed to tame the wilderness outside of it. So, so we are called, and having received Holy Communion, to go tame the wilderness, to go into the world and bring the world to Christ. And so that's part of our sanctification. In other words, our baptism doesn't just exist for partaking in the Eucharist, But that baptismal character also exists, and I want to read to you now, paragraph 2031, 2031 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, in quoting, it's going to quote uh, Romans chapter 12, the moral life is spiritual worship. In other words, you're not just worshiping at Mass. By living for Jesus in the world, you're offering spiritual worship, because you're still a member of that heavenly city. And so it says... In paragraph 2031, the moral life is spiritual worship. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12. Within the body of Christ that we form and in communion with the offering of the Eucharist. In the, celebra- in the liturgy and celebration of the sacraments, prayer and teaching are conjoined with the grace of Christ to enlighten and nourish Christian activity. So, how, as a church community, Give me your question one more time because I got I got on a I got on no, my soapbox.
1: I, no. I I don't worry. I love your <laughs> soapbox because I think it, it, it's wonderful. Um, the question was, you know, how can we as a community of persons be more in unity with one another? But I think you're I think you've already hit at it as um, um, you know we just have a few minutes left. But I really want to hammer yeah. this point home because when you yeah. were saying that, it really reminded me two things I've heard. Um, choose whichever one works best uh, for the listening audience out there. One, we should be a walking tabernacle, or we should be yeah, a walking monstrance. That is, you're so right. right. When, we, when we leave Mass, it's not—I <laughs> love how you put that—we uh, don't just get kicked out, like, oh, well, it's over, see ya. <laughs> it, it is the great commissioning for us to then go out there. And people should—you uh, know, I taught this to my class the other day—if um, we are living as true Catholics in this world, as true Christians in this world, then we should look weird. You know, um, if somebody who's never been in a Catholic church walks in and they see this monstrance, you know, this giant giant golden thing with this big flat piece of bread in it, they probably ought to look at it and be like, what in the heck is that thing? (laughs) You know, it's it's beautiful, but I'm I'm perplexed as to what it is and why people are adoring it. That's what we should look like, um, and to other people out in the world today, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it. We should not be afraid to um, look a little bit strange, but beautiful. What are your uh, closing thoughts there for us, Dr. Matthew?
2: Yes, I think that's absolutely true, and and I think really as well. I love what you teach, so it's beautiful. This idea of being more in unity with one another. We need to remember the model for true unity uh, that, that, that all is based on is the mystery of the Trinity, a, a mystery of persons distinct from one another but who are one in being. And in this great mystery, the persons live as the gift of self to each other. But living as the gift of self doesn't mean only giving to others. It also means allowing others into your life, receiving others. And so to grow in unity really means also uh, it means this aspect of acknowledging, our it's, you know, we are truly tabernacles, but we're also people struggling with sin. And it's really okay for us to recognize, I really want to get this message out to people, even though you're baptized, and even though you're receiving Holy Communion, you're still being perfected. You are not yet perfect. You still have to grow as Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 16 says, we need to grow, and 15, we need to grow into Christ in every way to reach full maturity. In other words, we're still immature. And yeah. so we have to accept our sin, we have to be accepting and love ourselves despite our sinfulness, because God loves us. So true. And, and, and I really want to say to people, people I, I, I tell people, I don't want you to love me if you don't love yourself. And people are like, what do you mean? That sounds, you know, kind of new age. No. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself if you don't love yourself even though you're sinful if you don't love yourself how are you gonna love me right you're just gonna see me as sinful and and reject me i'm a sinner i need people to love me too you need to love yourself even though you're sinful because god loves you he doesn't love you because you're perfect he loves you to make you perfect he loves us first we didn't earn it what a beautiful message and so when you go out into the world don't be afraid of your own sinfulness. Accept it. Repent of it, but don't hate yourself because you still suffer from sin. Everyone suffers concupiscence. You've got to love yourself because you're not going to love me, a fellow sinner, if you are mad at yourself because you're a sinner. And Jesus said, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Well, I need you to love you because I need you to love me right. <laughs>
1: think. Yes, I I think that is a perfect place. for. uh, I wish we had more time with you, but that that is a beautiful thing for us to end on, Um, not in the prideful sense, but um, in the sense of uh, God gave us all dignity and worth. We have to understand that, respect that worth, and receive that love so that we can uh, let it flow through us into others. You have been a wonderful witness for us today, Dr. Sakonikas. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for your time
2: pleasure was mine god bless you all
0: thanks for tuning into this week's one body stewarding god's creation show if you're a business or service that would like to support this one body show please note that your promotion would run three times during the show which runs five times a week Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsborg, Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.